Welcome to the Free Mind Podcast. Um, yeah, so we got our shirts on actually from Impact, Ancient Paths from Jeremiah 6, 16. Uh, you know, instead of this show in the video this week, maybe it'd be cool to talk about the camp a little bit, how it's been just, man, amazing. Yes. Um, every year we get here, we're just blown away with the quality of the camp and just the students and, and everything we experience. It's growing too, like more students yeah, man. every year, up to almost 80 students. Yeah. It started out at 40. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, way back in the Dizay. I hear there's a waiting list, and so it's... This is an excellent program. Yeah, if you if you get the chance, I, I don't know if they have any openings. They might already be filled up for next summer's uh, immersion camp. But if they're not, man, get on the website, check it out. You can you can click on the link below to get to Impact 360. But it's highly worth it. Um, we we've been shooting some footage from our Free Mind uh, Instagram. If you follow us, Free Mind FM just from the camp making some reels and stuff but the first night they get there and they just let the, the students go up and write any question like what's the mm-hmm. kind of the question that bothers them most that they've been unable to answer about the christian faith so they all write these questions at the beginning yeah heavy questions beginning too, the camp. yeah like, yeah pretty deep deep questions and you know they they begin to answer those and, and really man they they challenge the students to think biblically they they have open honest conversation about everything they they have they they talk about the woke stuff they talk Mm -hmm. about the existence of god you know science in the bible um transgender issues abortion everything man they cut and is the bible reliable and yes they even touch on the muslim faith a little bit just study into that their beliefs and yeah, man. They visit a, a Muslim mosque. Yeah, yeah. they do, they they kind of train them and, and help them understand. They go and, and visit it in Atlanta, and yeah, you know, just get a lot just of good to get, engage in conversation, yes. not to convert them, but to just expose <laughs> them. But good stuff. I mean, most college experiences wouldn't have uh, those kinds of experiences, but it's just awesome. Yeah, all around exposure and training that stuff. So. Yeah, man. So, like I said, uh, either either camp that propels a one week immersions, two weeks. Um, every time we see the students just grow so much. It, yeah. Just take it, take take the opportunity if you have. I think it's all high school or going yeah. high schoolish. One more thing, they take away their cell phones so they can right. focus and really be yeah. in the moment and be yeah, present. Man. You can tell how they kind of start gelling with one another, forming yep. friendships and things, and really. Not really missing all of that social yeah, media. Yeah, I'm gonna take nervous cell phone. She she starts gelling and connecting with, with me. <laughs> but no, you, you're right. Like the like, so many uh, testimonies that we hear from the students at these camps and then the fellows program have been like life changing. Like never be the same. You know, just preparing them and oh, yeah. just just super 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 helpful. So check it out when you get a chance. I, I thought today that we would. The last episode we did just really got me thinking, and I thought there were some things that I didn't get the chance to spell out in more a little bit more detail with regard to why is it that the you know the the more highly educated, the more credentialed um, seemed to be more uh, taken in by the psychological operations. Um, you know, psychological operations. We talked a little bit about that in the past with the podcast. I won't go into a, a whole big thing of it, but. One aspect is military actually has like uh, sub branches that do psychological operations on purpose in, in countries and stuff. It is a, is a form of warfare sometimes. I mean, they've misused it too to overthrow governments and, uh, you know, at least that's the idea to, to implant people they think will be more friendly to all sorts of different um, countries have used this kind of warfare. It can be used positively or negatively to to kind of create, um, kind of shift the mindsets of cultures and stuff like that. And they use media to do it, all these kinds of Hollywood. If you go back, uh, you can see clips where the, the CIA, they were questioning them in the in the Senate, I believe, and they were asking them, um, are your CIA agents working with the news media? And they were like, well, we're not gonna say that in public here. But the idea is like everybody kind of talks about the fact that they were Infiltrate, had infiltrated them at a mass level in all the media companies to kind of shift people's mindset, working with Disney to do that at a, at a mm. young age, all that kind of stuff. So, um, But we saw the psychological operations that were being done, whether it was the BLM stuff or the, the pandemic or any of those elements um, in the past few years at a higher rate that just became like 
maybe it wasn't a higher rate, but it became more noticeable, I think, to the average person that yeah. they were running these these plays. And we became aware of, you know, concepts like false flags and <laughs> psyops and all this kind of stuff. Um, but what I think surprised a lot of people was like, man, how do you get, you know, all these all these guys with, you know, they seem to be really sharp, you know, in many cases, seem to be highly credentialed. And left and right, whether it's people you know or people on TV being taken in by these things um, and just fully jumping on board. And you're like, man, I thought you guys were trained in critical thinking. Like, can't you see that this stuff doesn't make sense? It doesn't pass the smell test. And so, you know, that that sort of made you think. And in some cases, I think when you dug deeper, you're like, oh, certain guys are getting paid <laughs> to do this. But there was a there was a large swath that so far as you could tell, um, they genuinely were being taken into these ideas. They weren't they weren't just being paid to to engage in propaganda. Okay. Um, and so that that was sort of the 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 question I was I was kind of starting with that. But then I was going broader as well. Um, to say that, you know, sort of what Joe Boots' question was. He said this was a general general truth, not just in the past few years, but throughout history, that people have noticed that some of the people that were the most highly um, intellectually gifted or credentialed in, in the Western world um, tended to have the worst views when it came to cultural and political elements. Like, why is it that they could... So that that's been a problem even before this. Does that make sense? It's kind of so. kind of a narrow sense we're talking about in the last few years, and a broader sense of what Joe Boots talking about. But I wanted to play this little clip from Plandemic Three, okay? Um, because it's going to talk about that narrow sense of like how did they, um, you know, how how did so many people get tricked by this thing? And when it starts out right before the part I'm going to play, it was actually talking about the social credit score thing that that goes on in China. And oh so, yeah, I saw some clips of that where people are yeah. being monitored and or rewarded or punished by is it yes. the government based on their yep. behavior on their culture? social credit score which is social, which is based on yeah, score. social credit which can be based on things like, you know, in, in the one case they were highlighting a journalist that was going against the communist Chinese party um, in some of the stuff he was saying. So he got such so a low, low credit score, score because oh, of that okay. that he was being denied, you know, in some some ways like basic access to banks, to um, grocery store. Like th there's talk, I, I even saw they were trying to, somebody said they were trying to push a bill through in the U.S. to be able to control your, um, uh, what's the word, like your, your house water, your electricity, that kind of thing, based on a similar kind of social credit score. And a lot of people at the WEF are talking about that, like China as being the model, like we want to we want to do that, because basically it would give the state, you know, total control over the individual. Um, and they, they, at that point, they could implement anything they want, because they could shut, like literally shut your digital access to your to your money down, like they did with the truckers in, in Canada, that kind of thing. So, but that happens in China mm -hmm. um, explicitly, like they're not, they have no wish to deny it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not even covert. It's yeah, yeah, that. it's not covert. Like it, the the people know, like this is our system, and, and, and that's this how is it that. goes. That's yeah, all they know, and that's okay. how it goes. So it's right after that. There, you, if you're watching, you'll see. That um, this was this was footage from during the um, pandemic when they shut they put everybody in their houses wouldn't let them out and they started screaming. Remember that downtown scene it was really so. wild. Okay. So that's kind of where this picks up, and I'm going to play this real quick. <laughs> How does a handful of autocrats gain total control over a population of 1.4 billion? I have two master degrees, one in clinical psychology, one in statistics. And at the beginning of the crisis, I started to study the statistics a little bit. The initial mathematical models and the initial statistics all had dramatically overrated the dangerousness of the virus. That was the moment when I started to, to think how it was possible that an entire society and an entire population was in the grip of a narrative which in, in many respects was blatantly wrong. After a few months it became clear to me that the only mechanism that could explain what was happening in society was what is usually referred to as mass formation. 
mass formation is identical to hypnosis. And this term refers to a, a specific kind of group formation, which has very special characteristic effects at the level of individual mental functioning. And one of these effects is that an individual that is in the grip of mass formation typically lose every capacity to take a critical distance from what they believe in, from what the group believes in. You would think it would be people with lower IQs that would be more susceptible to this, but it seems to be the other way around. Are you seeing this? I have seen this, and it does seem to be predicted by educational status and IQ. We look to be verified for our belief system, right? And so a doctor goes to the CDC. The CDC says this is true, it must be true. I'm staying in that zone. It's actually people outside of the system go, well, I, I want to challenge the CDC here for a second. Where's this study come from? Where's it, you know, and that's what I do. All of these people were kept out of the all conversation. I can, all I can comment And you were there. wanting me to sign onto a, a, a social contract where the scientific method isn't being used. I'm not interested in medical pedigree. I'm interested in medical consensus. People who are highly intelligent tend to go and get a lot of degrees. Those people have spent so many years in institutions to get those degrees that they have developed a trust and confidence in not only the educational institutions, but those that support them, which are largely government bodies. And so they start from the place of, if it's told by the university, by the government, it's probably going to be true. What I've learned about science is that it's really imagined they're looking at like a fragment of the world, and it's all they see. It's all they're looking at. The world, they don't see the world. So I think that there's a disconnect between people who are smart and have lots of degrees with actual reality, with the lived experience of nature, of life, that you don't see with people who are actually working with their hands outdoors all of the time. Yeah, it's pretty deep, right? Dang it. And so you see him interviewing Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, who's supposed to be, you know, this great scientific mind. He's really more of a popularizer, I think, than a, than a great scientist. But okay. he takes these, you know, atheistic theories and popularizes them to people and kind of has a following in that way. But he said, you know, scientific consensus and all this kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, consensus. But it's very, it's very interesting that that happens like they you know the cdc says it must be true you know my university professor said it must be true they're the they're the new priests and prophets of the new secular humanist religion right and because we don't really teach critical thinking anymore we don't teach logic rhetoric the the old school you know the trivium that you used to have to take um in classical education we're kind of sitting ducks all we have now is authority to look to and our authorities have shifted from God and revelation and and then science and math within that framework to basically these authorities of university CDC the WHO and I think because we didn't know those were so connected to governments and to power systems um, that they were being much more influenced by that than they were pure scientific method the pure mm -hmm. scientific method you know um, and so there's just so much going on there, and I like how they point out that um, the people that, you know, work with their hands, you know, they, they're, they're closer to reality, the closer to wor the world and the way it works. They were less susceptible to this, mass, what they called a mass sort of psychosis or mass hypnosis. Do you feel like um, the leaders in Christendom, that something happened when they declared them unessential mm. do you feel like they took a back seat to just okay maybe something happened there that those that carry the spirit the presence the fear of the lord the knowledge of god and how to truly take care of people not that the other branches didn't but that since that era just a shift of a lack of of speaking into i don't know truth yeah you know, I wonder if that that's a good that question. Was a good, so an additional side or kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. No, I think so. I think them declaring the church and the church leaders non-essential was just them declaring what was already true in our society for decades. Hmm. From the perspective of what what do you mean of that? secular society, and from the perspective of many inside the church. 
including pastors. So okay. I'll give you, for, for example, yeah. this is one thing that uh, J.P. Moreland used to talk about a lot in Kingdom Triangle. Um, he said, you know, he would give the example of Oprah, and he would say, you know, when it came to um, healing or some kind of medicine, like like cancer treatment, she would bring in, you know, somebody, a quote-unquote expert in mm -hmm. that field to speak into it. But when it came to areas of religion and faith, she would basically feel free for herself. anybody yeah. to speak from their own perspective because it's your personal sure, journey. Okay. So that, what does that show you? It shows you that, and, and most people wouldn't bat an eye at that because we would think, man, okay, science gives you knowledge. Mm. Um, that's in the area of objective truth. And so we need actual experts, people that know what they're talking about in that area to give us understanding of that. Okay. Whereas religion, we don't really need experts in that because there's no such thing as expertise in a oh. good sense of expertise. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, there's just your personal belief because it's relative or whatever, you know, that might be. Sure. That's one aspect of it. But also he said, you know, pastors, he, he would give another example of like, when you're when someone was trying to understand some sort of sociological phenomenon you know some shooter happens you know they would bring in psychologists to break down what went on yeah. they would bring in the pastor to make people feel good yeah, and but comfort not as, but not as someone who had a body that. of knowledge that was going to speak on a, uh, yes so if if it's not a body of knowledge that has to do with reality by definition you're not essential when it comes down to an emergency situation, quote unquote. Does that make sense? Yeah, and you know, we we should have saw the flag when they allowed certain elements of culture to be essential, but not the church, yeah. which was causing more devastation, more depression, more illness, more isolation, and so, yeah, I hear what you're saying, that's, that's just- Yeah, different. that was just a, I, I feel like that was just putting a stamp on something that was already there. Like it was sitting okay. there for years. Um, okay, that makes sense. And many, many pastors had already accepted that. Like at, at best we were just, you know, we don't, we're not here for knowledge, we're here for faith. And we're here to help you kind of navigate life better, feel better about yourself. And, don't then, challenge and then in the no, evangelical yeah. conservative circles, get to heaven when you die, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so is that, you know, in time, like, again, taking, allowing for the, what I would say is a false narrative during the, the, the pandemic, even allowing that to be the case that you were in some sort of emergency during that, mm. like what necessity is the church, you know, yeah. outside of maybe making people feel better. Like, I think that was some pastor's arguments is, man, we do need to make people feel better and that's good for your health. And that is true. But that's not like that's already to accept the reductionistic view, I think, of what um, the church is for. Mm. And so, no, okay. good, good question. So I think, though, coming yeah. off that video, like, yeah. I think there, there's an aspect to that's which they're saying is like, man, the, the high IQ, highly educated, credentialed, this and that were particularly susceptible to being deceived by these things but i think that is part of a larger problem that's been going on for years and the problem is not just rooted in you know having a trust for the cdc the problem is deeper than that that we lost the fear of the lord as the grounding for wisdom and wisdom is the grounding for education oh, come on. Um, and so when you lose that like this is just one particular manifestation of how you lose connection to reality and knowledge in the educational system, if you think of it like that. And that's why that's why I wanted to bring up the, the Joe Boot um, book because, let me, let me bring this back up if I can. Because as he said, this has been like a, a long-standing problem. That's not, not something new. He, he said here that we, we quoted last week it is a regularly observed phenomenon that many otherwise brilliant people appear utterly bereft of wisdom or judgment in the vital affairs of cultural and political life. And so that's not something new. So I, I was trying to answer the question, okay, why is that? And I think part of it is the contingency of um, the fact that Western civilization since the Enlightenment 
has if, if you think about epistemology okay the the th- the field or the theory of knowledge, what is knowledge and what types of things do we know and how do we come to know them, right? Mm-hmm. Education was meant in part to help us with that, develop our, our framework of knowledge, understanding. And the universities originally were meant, they, they came out of a Christian perspective of trying to take the various disciplines and understand them as a unity of you know as kept i think it was kepler that said thinking god's thoughts after him Hmm. so we're discovering god's word through the tools that he gave us of reason research experience wisdom bible study all those things and theology was the queen of the sciences they called it so science was broader than just physical science of how we use that now but theology was the queen and the other the other areas were handmaidens to theology if that makes sense they were funded they were funded by it and then they served that end of knowing God and glorifying Him in the earth. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So when the, in the Enlightenment, when we, when we sort of got rid of, part of that was the Reformation in a good way was like oh, toppling church authority over and saying sola scriptura, like the Bible is the yeah. final authority, okay. recovering that doctrine of the early church. Okay. But then the Enlightenment came and said, no, we don't need scripture as the authority. We want human reason. Okay as the authority but what happens when you have reason as the final authority then reason itself becomes foundationless and that that eventually gives way to postmodernism because you have no god's eye perspective anymore Mm. if you don't have god creating the mind creating Mm. the brain and that the mind is wired to be connected to reality and it's when it's working properly that it that it leads you toward truth that connection between what is objectively out there and what we perceive in our minds or believe in our minds mm-hmm. you have to have that that has to be designed and that connection has to be made by the designer yeah. but if you lose that like whose whose belief system right how can you trust anything right how can you trust your own your own belief system so that's why when you look at the smithsonian thing on on the critical race theory you know i forget the exact i've got that uh screenshot somewhere but um it it talks about objectivity and science being a manifestation of white supremacy because that's just this group's way of um wielding power over someone it's not an actual access to the objective world because no one could have that Mm, right reason is the center of it all okay yeah when reason becomes the god you lose reason it 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 cuts itself it's like sitting cutting off the branch that you're sitting on is you know how c.s lewis okay used to always say it and so you know now you have an education system that tried with modernism for a while to to do kind of this neutral zone of having reason without the fear of the Lord, without God. But that's what led into what uh, Joe Boot began to talk about when he made a distinction between the intellect, intelligence, and wisdom. And just, just, to, just to kind of remind you of, of that one more time, what he said is, if the true foundation of wisdom is missing, if the principal part of knowledge is neglected, then any knowledge structure built upon it, including modernism or postmodernism, is going to be inherently unstable. It may appear elegant and well-proportioned, but when the winds of the real world blow against it, it will be found wanting. And he talks about a person may have the ability to grasp complex ideas. That's intellect, okay? Okay and even have the capacity to understand their relevant implications for a given area of thought. That's intelligence. And I would give, for instance, Neil deGrasse Tyson a decent level in those, both yeah. of those categories. He says, but wisdom is of an, another character altogether. And he quotes Thomas Sowell here. He says, wisdom is the rarest quality of all. The ability to combine intellect, knowledge, experience, and judgment in a way to produce a coherent understanding. Wisdom is the fulfillment of the ancient admonition. With all you're getting, get understanding. And so what we're talking about here, I, I, the reason I brought this topic initially, because I, I, I was thinking about, you know, you hear these stories of, you know, like, let's call, I, I'm just, I'm coming up with names and occupations here, but you got, you know, 
a guy named Ed who's, you know, the local mechanic. Um, and, you know, he was raised, let's say he was raised in a somewhat culturally Christian environment. So he was raised with good principles, decent moral beliefs, even goes to church. Let's say he's even a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, his niece goes off to, you know, Columbia University or any, any university nowadays, comes back a couple years later and they're having these conversations and she's just giving him all this, you know, the woke nonsense. But he might feel intimidated, right? Yeah. And feel like, man, like she's got all this school learning. Um, maybe she's right or she must be right. I can't, how can I compete with that kind of understanding? I'm a, I'm a mechanic who just has a simple faith in God, that kind of thing. And what, what I think this reveals to us in this Joe Boot book is that a good dose of common sense built on a biblical framework, yeah. starting with the fear of the Lord, will actually put you way ahead of someone who is currently in a university system that has jettisoned the fear of God. Mm-hmm. And now they're actually teaching idiocy. <laughs> so they're getting smarter. Their, their intellect and intelligence is, um, is growing more complicated and sophisticated in false ideologies. It's making them get further from reality mm. than it is closer. So, so they might be able to sound sophisticated and sound brilliant and making all these great connections up here, but the house won't stand because the whole foundation is mm-hmm. broken. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I want to encourage someone like Ed to say, hey, man, don't be intimidated by the current intelligentsia if anything you should kind of feel sorry for them Mm -hmm. because more times than not they're going into debt to become dumber yeah i was just thinking about that how expensive right and sound more neurotic and being more annoying to their you know their relations that actually have good sense um now, on the other hand, this is what I didn't get to spell out last time, but I wanted to spell out a little bit more is like, there is the aspect, though, that you don't want to be prideful about your common sense True. to the point where you like you deny that there is such a thing as a proper godly education. Mm, that's good. That's so good. And you don't want to dismiss um, any and all people that are like let's call i'm just going to use the word a christian intellectual but in the proper sense Mm -hmm. not not what we encounter often in the world of christian intellectualism but someone who has dedicated their lives like that is their gifting and calling they've been gifted with intellect they've been gifted with intelligence but they've grown in wisdom because it's based in the fear of the lord and they study that that is their discipline Mm -hmm. they study now that's not to say they're going to hit hit it right all the time but just like ed studies mechanics like i'm gonna go to him if i know he's a trustworthy person and he's well gifted and he's developed his his craft yeah i'm gonna lean on that somewhat right Mm -hmm. in that area you can do the same thing with a proper christian intellect and you shouldn't dismiss them because it just doesn't line up and I, i was thinking of um mark rutland used to tell this story of going to a tribe and in this tribe telling them about an airplane like they had, you know they were way out just had never experienced anything like that and, and i think the tribe just began or maybe maybe it was that movie um into the sphere i can't remember if it was that or, or rutland that told the story but they they were telling that hundreds of people could fit in these planes and fly in the sky and they okay. just started laughing oh wow it sounded ridiculous sure. to them you know what i'm saying oh, wow. but the chief i think was like well let me hear more oh you know, the chief had wisdom, even though he had no category for it. Sure. So you can't, you know, this is yeah, a case where like, you can't, you can't, you can't have such a pride in your, you know, your kind of like common sense intuitions that you dismiss things out of hand sure. all the time. But um, you do, you, you also just knowing what the current education system is built on, I wouldn't give too much credence to that and the ability of people to dance around with ideas. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? No, I think you're spot on. It's just uh, unfortunate that it's come to that because right. if that's the case of institutions, <laughs> where, do, right. where, do, where do we go? <laughs> no, and that, you know, where do yeah. We, uh, but there's a lot of different movements. There's the homeschool movement. There's yeah. the Impact Fellows. You know, there's options yeah. to receive a good, robust Christian education. 
based on the wisdom and fear of the Lord, but you know, I, I just remember, I think I was just flipping through social media and De Dennis Prager was the first I heard say that kind right. of thing. And I was like, dang it, what is he talking about? You know, yep. college is awesome. <laughs> that was years ago though, but um, you're right. It's um, the things that are going on nowadays, it's like, it's heartbreaking. And um, speakers who, who have wisdom and knowledge are walking onto these campus, campuses and it's a war zone yeah. because they resist and reject someone yeah. that's coming in with some knowledge and yeah. wisdom about something. So yeah, man. it's heartbreaking. Yeah. No, I it's think. Deep. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And so again. So you, I'm hearing yeah. you say it takes a, just a little bit of um, what is that that's going to keep just humility? So, okay. Is that, the, is that the key ingredient? Or, you know, you want yeah. the mechanic has to be humble, and then the, the person receiving an education needs to, you know. So, I think, it? yeah, no, that's a great question. But I th and I don't have a What's quick the formula. Key? Yeah. I, think, I think humility, but, but I do want to go back to this the, okay. the fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord. is the yeah, beginning is of wisdom. Um, so, so, understanding, like, and, and you think about somebody asked about that at camp this week. What is the fear of the Lord, you know? They were saying, is it just the fear of outcomes? What he'll do to you if you, mm -hmm. you know, if you sin and, and fall into temptation or whatever. And I, I thought Jonathan answered that very well. Like at times, biblically speaking, there is a fear of the outcome. Like he said, you know, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill also destroy the soul. Right. He said mm -hmm. like that is an outcome fear. But more than not, when that when that when that kind of thing, fear of the Lord is used, it's an awe and reverence like a that you would experience for something like, I don't know, like if you were um, in the nuclear lab trying to construct <laughs> some kind of nuclear fission of something, let's say if it's for good purposes. But yeah. even even when those good purposes, you would be super careful for that because, you know, the power that's inherent there and what could happen. Um, you don't want to play around with that. Yeah. And okay. so. Fear of the Lord is like a proper understanding of how powerful and holy and other he is. And, and like even in the Old Testament, there was this, you know, the, the priest would go in the, and perform these things in the temple or the tabernacle. And, and they had to be, you know, go through the ceremonial cleansing that, that was, you know, showing us something about God. Jesus had to die on the cross. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't that God winks at sin. He, he paid that ultimate price mm -hmm. um, for us and took the wrath of God. And so it's something serious. Like you have to have start with that proper awe. Like God is not to be trifled with. He's not, you know, just our buddy. He is ultimately loving. Yeah. He is love. He is compassion. But he's also righteous and just and holy. And having that proper fear is the grounding starting yeah. place. So that's I think good. that's 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 the starting point. Mm, that's good. Once you have that, you need to understand the difference between wisdom and intelligence. And be a person who seeks godly wisdom. Yeah. And then who grows an in intelligence toward that end. Mm, that's good. It's not an intelligence that's divorced from the mm. fear of the Lord and from understanding that this is his world. Amen. This is, not, this is not our world. And human reason at best is the God-given capacity to begin to understand his world. Amen. That's so good. So that is the starting place. And, and when you understand that, you can see how... The, the carpenter or the mechanic or the farmer who has biblical principles is actually way ends up being infinitely wiser than the professor down at the community college who has lost the fear of God or been indoctrinated on a on a faulty foundation that doesn't have that. Yeah. He may be That's great sweet. in chemistry or whatever. He may have some yeah. specialized knowledge in some areas, but he lacks wisdom. Mm. He, and, he, and, and by and large, he's going to miss it when it comes to culture and politics because both when it gets down to human life, wisdom is required, Woo. not yeah. just intelligence in a specific area. And so that's what I want to say is like, man, and, and if anything, this should be a motivation not to dis... That's what I, I want to say is like, don't be dismissive of proper education yeah. but if you are in the church like begin to take seriously wisdom and in, in intellectual growth from that perspective and fund it you know send your your kids to get that or like you said homeschool or whatever you know send them to stuff like impact um, do that yourself begin to grow you know don't let your theology stay at stay at the the comic book you know Sunday school kind of preschool level like you don't have yeah. to you don't have to become a monk and, and be reading, you know, three books a, a week or anything like that. But, you know, take some steps 
to grow and mature in your understanding of who God is and what he's done and, and how we walk this out. So I want to, I want to, um, yeah, we may, maybe have about 20 more minutes here. So I want to walk through some more of this chapter from Joe book. Cause I think it'll maybe even fill out some more details here, but let's go. I'll pull this up too. So you guys can read along, make sure I have my, uh, yeah, we're still unmuted here. So a basic here's a basic difference between Christian and secular political thought. I just want to hit some of this sure. piecemeal. Okay. But I think this also applies to education, not just politics. Okay. And so will you um read this first sentence here, babe? At the bottom? Yeah, right. Starting right. with we have already. All right. We have already seen that the foundation for thinking between the Christian and non Christian is radically different. One professes autonomy, self-law. The other, theonomy, meaning a total surrender to the law, word of Christ in creation and scripture, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, Colossians 3, right? 2, 3. So that's the answer to your question, really, I think. I mean, a restating yeah. of what I tried to say. is So you have two options, autonomy in politics or theonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, in education, you have... Humanity is the starting point, or you have the God. ultimate mm-hmm. reality of God. And when you had the interesting thing, when you when you start with humanity, it inevitably regresses back to old school paganism, which we're seeing now, yeah. because it really creates a vacuum. We need a God of sorts, yeah. right? Okay. You always have one, and I think secular humanism creates a vacuum that invites a false god in its place. Ultimately, like that seems to be the trajectory. But he said. You know, a total surrender to the mm-hmm. law word of Christ in creation, that's general revelation, sometimes called, mm-hmm. and scripture, which is sometimes called special revelation. Okay. So we need to understand in whom are hidden all treasures of what? Wisdom mm-hmm. and knowledge. So a secular university isn't ultimately going to give you, it's going to erode knowledge. And that's what we've seen. Mm-hmm. It's going to chip away at knowledge. Not only wisdom is going to chip away at knowledge, yeah. and it's not to say a pagan can't know anything, mm-hmm. but the problem is it gets it gets mixed more and more with these false ideas to where it it take it it begins to eat away at it, and you get more and more into deception. Yeah. But when you recognize that, you know, science properly done is yeah. is studying God's general revelation, is studying His creation. Yeah. Um, even good. psychology, the study of the human self yeah, or soul, soul. Mm-hmm. you're studying God's creation, right? Music, mm-hmm. um, history, it's God's story. If you, and, and here's a quick example. If you lose that God's eye perspective, all you have is postmodern history, which is a reframing and a rewriting. That's what you get in the 1619 Project. Is, is It's a rewriting of American history through the lens of critical race theory. Okay. And she can say, well, we're going to frame it this way. And there's no, there's no God's eye framing of history. So we can frame it any way we want. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. You have to have that, that God's eye view there. Um, let me pop forward here a little bit. Uh, second, because a submission to God and his word revelation, not only is the Christian thinker totally subject to scripture, He or she is also accountable to the normative structure Mm. of created reality as God has ordained it by his law word. See, that keeps us from falling into the craziness of the transgender movement. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have a created order where there's normative structure, like an ought to it, a design, a teleology to it, then in essence, you are free to rearrange it in any, any capacity you want. So he says this, this means that true Christian thinking is willfully and joyfully submitted to God's word and creation and does not attempt to remake it after human imagination. Rather than submitting to revelation from the time of Plato and Aristotle, intellectuals have tended to engage in abstract thought experiments, making playthings of the lives of people in the name of their greater insight or apprehension of quote-unquote natural law. So listen to this. From Plato's Republic and Aristotle's politics 
to Sir Thomas More's Utopia and Karl Marx's Das Kapital, mm -hmm. Western civilization has been profoundly impacted by different styles of social thought experiment that deal with people, politics, and culture in the abstract. Mm. As these thinkers would prefer persons in the world to be, but which do not really grapple with world and history in its givenness. Givenness. Okay. Does that make sense? In so there's a given, given there's yeah. a there's, there's a givenness order. to the world. There's an order. It's a it's a yes, it created order. God gave it. Like he he placed it. Ooh. But if you lose that givenness, yeah. that placedness, then what are you gonna do? You're just gonna you think we're the, the latest you know, the latest and greatest offspring of rev, of evolution. So maybe we can do a better job than the blind watchmaker, right, of evolution. Maybe now we've been given these so, somehow cognitive faculties that are quote-unquote smart, we can use those now to recreate. Mm -hmm. There is no givenness to the universe. We can create it however we want. Mm -hmm. So you have these social experiments, these thought experiments that end up leading toward all this great mm. tragedy. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that's powerful. That's really it. So maybe read on from here, but outside of the laboratory. Okay. Sorry, right here. No worries. Outside of the laboratory of the mind, however... Such thought experiments have real-life consequences. Mm. Amen to that. The atheistic materialism of Marx's thought, with its abstract revolutionary masses throwing off the evils of wage labor and private property, supposedly leading mankind toward total freedom in the stateless and work-free world, <laughs> has cost millions of people their lives. Mm. Isn't that deep? Yeah, that's real deep. Um, and yeah, he goes yeah. on here. During the age of the Enlightenment philosophies, Rousseau attacked Christian civilization and idealized the noble savage. That was his idea. Like, you know, and you see that a lot in documentaries where, it, and I'm not claiming that all the colonization was all good and that when they came into indigenous oh, peoples and all that, that everything was justified and done rightly. A lot of it was off and some of it was not. Yeah. as off as it's portrayed and you know there's it's a mixed bag in other words okay but what gets portrayed is this idea of the noble savage that the person always living off the land they were like that was the pristine human condition okay and what really brought quote-unquote sin into the world was this western christianized Colonization. Okay. colonizers that that is his brainchild rousseau okay so when you watch that just be on the lookout for that kind of noble savage idea when in reality what was happening People of in, you know indigenous people of all lands were doing the same thing that all human beings were doing, which was fighting, killing. <laughs> you know there were some tribes that were better than others, and there were some that were more warful, warlike. And you know it's a it's a it's a history like we see in Genesis going back to the fall. Okay. It's yeah. not the noble right. savage versus Christian civilization. So, anyways, Rousseau attacked Christian civilization and idealized the noble savage whilst abandoning all of his own children to a hospice where they almost certainly died. In more recent decades, John Rawls described a veil of ignorance in contractarian political theories of society positing imaginary worlds free from metaphysical beliefs or cultural history. All such abstractions are erroneous in large measure because they are inattentive to the human condition and social reality. Mm. So all those utopians, the noble savage, the Marxism, they're all built on a false view of humanity because the Bible teaches what's called total depravity, mm -hmm. that man outside of God's redemption, outside of him, his grace and his mercy is wicked mm. in, in essence. Yeah. And it's not merely the social structures that cause that wickedness. The wickedness starts in the heart and then gets manifested oftentimes in social structures. Yeah. Um, and so it's a both and, but it's primarily, primary source is from the individual human heart. Any thoughts on that so far? Yeah, I think back to the clip you played of the, the communist kind of, you talked about how they want to do the social crediting. Yeah. I wonder if they consider that institution to have cured humanity. You know, what are the results? And if it's cured everything, why do they have to punish with social scores? Right. So it's not the answer. Right. It's not. That's proof that 
Sin starts at the heart of man, not in yeah, these institutions. And the worst thing you can do is concentrate that kind of power in that central government who are being run by sinners. Trust. Dang it. But they think they can solve it through this humanistic mm-hmm. approach. Yeah. That is their attempt, the social credit score, all that stuff is their is the attempt on the part of elites, quote unquote, to implement this utopian strategy. Yeah. Um, deep. So he goes on here. One of the important differences between the occupation of intellectuals and that of the engineer is that engineers find themselves constantly accountable to the real world if they make mistakes. That's a huge point right there. So you build a car that doesn't run, it doesn't run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, engineers like, you know, or so, sure. you, we're going to have to do a recall and it's going to cost the company, you're going to get fired. But intellectuals come up with these ideas. And they often are not held accountable because it's harder oh, to draw draw their results directly back to the intellectual. They can always dance around it. You'll hear that nowadays. And well, we just haven't done socialism properly. Okay. You know, it's not it's not Marx's fault. We mm-hmm. just he his ideas are true. We just haven't done them properly. Gotcha. Whereas the engineer who makes the Toyota that you know that yeah. where, the, where the thing blows up after a thousand, there. they're held accountable. So he says. If I make a mistake with a historical or philosophical reference in one of my articles or lectures, I may get a kind or angry email from a reader pointing out my error. But if my brother Daniel, who is a heating engineer, designing <laughs> and installing complex heating systems and commercial properties, okay. makes a serious mistake, real college dorm rooms or somebody's office will be flooded or catch fire or explode. There is an immediate accountability here in the concrete world of experience, an external standard of accountability. An engineer whose designs and work prove to be a repeated failure will not long be in the industry. But listen to this. Yet, if an intellectual has a grand new idea, happens to be or become influential and the idea is applied but fails, that thinker is often seen as a brave pioneer Mm. or prophet out of time. At other times, as so clearly manifest in Marx's social theory, the blame for the failure of the thinker's ideas is placed on society or others' faulty interpretation or application, Mm. and not infrequently on the stupidity of the masses for the philosophy not working. Wow. Well, yeah. That's That's why you have to be even more careful with intellectuals than with your mechanic, because oftentimes you don't see the fruit of their bad idea. Yeah. With the accountability. They can have credentials and even tenure. So to stay and, and, and I've seen guys like this that you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a learner. I love like I think I'm called to the education area ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind credential like true standards for true um work done and true accomplishments. It just needs a complete reformation, maybe even a burn down and a start over, who knows? But mm-hmm. um but at this point, I've seen guys who only read the Bible. And again, they're, they're in the narrow sense, they're way, they were way less susceptible to these psychological operations that we experienced in the last That's few years. So and in the broader sense, they have way better ideas politically and culturally than even many of the current Christian intellectuals. Mm. Now, I might wrap up with this idea here because... So um, <clears throat> yeah, we're, we're running short on time, but there... One might ask, like, how is this affecting Christian intellectuals? And and I'm, here I'm not using it in the good sense that I was using it earlier. Okay. Like earlier I was saying Christian intellectuals, properly speaking, okay. like good biblical sound wisdom. Now I'm switching over and I'm using it to the people that are the so-called okay. Christian intellectuals that have higher degrees. Big Eva, the people that are platformed often, they're supposed to speak on behalf of evangelicals. Why did they miss it, and why are their political and cultural ideas often so bad? Now there are some great ones that you know I could I could list here and, and for you. There there's some awesome Christian yeah. intellectuals still out there, but what I'm doing here is I'm speaking maybe maybe in kind of a generality or like maybe a majority okay. if you want to say it like that. Yeah, it's sort of parallel to how is the how is wokeism entering into the Christian universities? Because it's it, there's a there's a battle going on for the heart and soul and the mind of many Christian universities right now across America, because DEI programs woke ideology is making large encroachments in those as well, 
And part of the reason is, is because a long time ago, I think in order for Christian universities to get funding, government, all that stuff, the FAFSA, they had to join these accreditation things, the, the, the secular accreditation um, systems. So just think through this for a second. If the secular accreditation systems are, are built and, and like basically engineered in a godless framework, according to a secular point of view, then if you take that and you hold the Christian universities to that standard, yeah, by and large, they're, they're going to have to capitulate <clears throat> to a completely, a radically different way of thinking through things. So I think already now some some schools did better than others because they were aware of this and they they would utilize the accreditation system, but without giving into it yeah. and, and still understanding like worldviewish thinking. So so, for instance, J.P. Moreland very much understood this to, to think Christianly is different than thinking from a secularist point of view and then just putting Bible verses on the outside of it. That's a very different like how you integrate, quote, faith and education is is the question and unless you were very thoughtful in doing it like that or like joe boots talking about it here by and large you were you were just taking on these secular points of view at a presuppositional level and then trying to build a christian framework on them And that's why you would get these i would have these friends going off to christian universities and majoring in psychology and losing their faith because they were teaching them secular psychology but then just adding Christian veneer to it, like window dressing. Mm-hmm. But the building itself was secular. So you begin to look at human beings as <clears throat> primarily physicalist. And so when you do that, religion gets, or Christianity gets squished out. And you become, like you start to glue it on, but it doesn't really cohere as a system. Does that make yeah, sense? That makes sense. So the I think there's there's something to that. And I would if anybody's listening, you've done an in-depth study on that, I'd love to hear it. I know in, in Keenan Triangle he uh Moreland references Julie Rubin's study on the, how the university changed over time just the, in the broad sense. Secular or just what used to be Christian universities like Princeton, Yale, Harvard, how they became secular. And I think that it's happening at a slower rate to many of the Christian universities as well because they've kind of bought into some of these presuppositions, some of these methods of how we think knowledge takes place. And we've gotten rid of God's special revelation as a source of knowledge. The scripture is a source of knowledge. And that starts to eat at general revelation as well. Now we don't have a givenness to creation. We just have to do study after study empirical things and and then try to draw some conclusions based on some methodology many of the methodologies were developed in anti-god secular situations does that make sense Mm -hmm. so then it becomes easier to understand why the woke ideology was easily accepted because we've already built on a foundation of secularism and so um now we've we've made we've made a space for the wokeism to come and, and and infiltrate that's my that's my sort of brief like this is how you get many of the christian intellectuals now like i'm thinking of a francis collins or you know a russell moore or david french or these guys who seem to be so bad on the political and cultural spectrum Um, in many cases i think it's they've they've lost touch with biblical presuppositions and in, in some of those cases, the, a few guys that I mentioned there, there, there might be other things going on. So just, sure. you know, side sure, note. Sure, sure. Um, but that, that, is, that is part of the problem is like you have to be very aware as, as a Christian university and as, as people where, you, where you're interacting and, and you're having to um, work with systems that are godless systems. If you're going to do that, you have to do it very well in, in a sense that sometimes it's doable, sometimes it's not. I think with the yeah. DEI argued, don't even try it. Yeah. But there's other systems where you might be able to try it and kind of recalibrate it and do stuff like that. But I find, again, more, more times than not what's happening in these universities, they're starting to spit out people who don't really have a Christian worldview, even at a pastoral level. You see that yeah, um, happening oftentimes. Sure. So they'll adopt this kind of secular, secular distinction, and they'll kind of hand knowledge over to the secular culture, and we'll take faith in this kind of idea. And what we need is to recover 
um, true Christian wisdom, true Christian intellectualism, and not be not be shy about that. Like to understand, like man, yeah, they're they're the whole education system. I'm not going to bow down to it. I I I don't have to feel um, less than if I go to Harvard campus and talk to professors because really, in many ways, they've become a ship of fools because they've lost that at the at the bottom and so you know we we can we can walk as we grow in our intellectual understanding last thing before we cut it off here we had this hopefully this will illustrate um this thing but you were listening to a lady who was very informed sociologically um but she was on the left and so she was given all these stats right Mm -hmm. of disparities and all these things uh, she had a lot of knowledge of these certain details sure and maybe we'll do one more part on this i want to get into specialization versus generalization okay but what happens oftentimes is someone who has specialized knowledge will think that they are an authority in other areas okay. where they're not specialists yeah i know what you're saying and Richard Dawkins used to do this a lot. He thought because he was a zoologist or a, you know evolutionary biologist that he could speak on philosophy and mm, theology. Okay. And when he got outside of his narrow framework, even atheist philosophers would say this guy is terrible. His his work in philosophy and theology is abysmal. Mm-hmm. But his arrogance blinded him and made him think because he was an intellectual that was knew supposedly knew a lot in this one area that he could stretch that out to other areas. Now, think about the fact that most of our education system right now is not set up to teach people general knowledge because we've lost that um, worldview-ish component. So you typically are only trained in specialized areas. So what I I encourage, what, what I was telling you, like when you listen to this lady, understand she might, she may or may not be given accurate information for all we know, she, she might not be, but let's just assume she is given ap- accurate information. Mm-hmm. What she might be assuming here is a definition of justice mm-hmm. um, that has no framework. Like she's, so a lot of times people will give evidence for disparities and stuff like that. And what they'll be assuming is those disparity equals systemic yeah, racism, racism or injustice. And that therefore we need to advocate for some kind of top-down pressure Mm -hmm. to uh, fix the power differentials. Um, So what that trades on is an understanding of justice that has no basis. And it's actually injustice, biblically speaking. It's partiality. And so her problem might actually lie in she doesn't understand what justice is and she doesn't have a framework for for knowing how to um, bring about societal righteousness. And yeah, and righteousness may not even be on the, the radar, just right outcomes, you know, but yes. yeah, and so, not and defending it. I'm no, no, saying. no, and so, you're right. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't talk in terms of righteousness, right. but what they would say is this, there's, there's an oughtness to it, yeah. right? That we, ought, no we ought to correct. Right. So that ought word, that ought concept is, is to not, say this is good and to not do that is evil. Mm, so that has an ethical framework to sure. it. And the problem is more times than not, when you, when you press someone on that, they, have, they don't have a way to ground that ethical yeah. framework. Sure. So they have an idea of justice that that's not their area of specialization is thinking through justice. Mm-hmm. So don't don't be confused in thinking because they're really smart yeah, in this one area that they're they smart in this other area. And actually, the other area is where the important error is in her thinking. Yeah. The error isn't in the, the stats. The error is in her thinking of what justice is and how to fix it. I'm just using that as, yeah, as an example. The error for Richard Dawkins, one might argue, isn't necessarily with his particular understanding of how this or that species developed, although you could challenge him on that as well. But the error was his metaphysical assumption about evolution being unguided in a metaphysical sense. Um, and that's what even atheist philosophers show was like his argument doesn't doesn't carry water and his so-called God delusion and and that whole deal. So anyways, just a couple examples of when you're thinking through this from a layperson's perspective, don't be intimidated. Understand the difference between intellect, uh, intelligence, wisdom. Understand fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. God's creation, general revelation, 
his scripture, special revelation. Those are our foundations for beginning to develop our intellectual giftings so that we might become better people of of a higher level Mm. of wisdom. So hopefully this is helpful. I know it's just a lot of thoughts thrown out there, but uh, hit us up if you had any questions or any thoughts. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time on the Free Mind Podcast. Uh-huh.